Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 83. Today, I'm sitting down with Iz Harris, who is basically my most favorite person on the internet. Iz is a filmmaker, a writer, and mom who documents her life as she travels and eats her way through the world with, and sometimes without, her family. I found Iz and her husband, Johnny, through their YouTube channels years ago, and I am just so excited and so grateful that I get to talk to her and share our conversation with you guys. We're talking about her journey from young, married Mormon to wedding videographer in D.C. to the work she does today, writing, recording, and producing videos. Guys, I cannot wait. All right. You ready? Let's do it. I'm Jessica Zimmerman, and this is Zimmerman Podcast. I'm a serial entrepreneur, mom to three, and professional oversharer who has spent a decade building my business and helping others do the same. From wedding floral design to business education, features in Martha Stewart Weddings and Forbes magazine, and even writing and publishing my best-selling memoir, Sleeping with a Stranger, my business has kept growing, evolving, and changing year after year, just like me. Because the best thing about building a strong business is the freedom it gives me to live a full life. And that's what Zimmerman Podcast is all about, sharing real, transparent, in-the-moment reflections about how to live a life, build a business, and lead a family through the good, the hard, and the messy. That's what we're doing each week right here on Zimmerman Podcast. Welcome to the show. Is Harris, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I'm a really, really big fan of yours. And I'm hoping by the by the end of this that I will become a friend because that's that's how <laughs> I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you came from, meaning uh, how you started this work. And then I'm going to lay out for you why I think you and I are soul sisters. Perfect. Okay. Man, um, who am I and what do I do? I feel like I'm still figuring that out. Um, I'm actually in the middle of a website redesign and I'm supposed to be like drafting copy and I just can't. I'm like, I don't know who I am or what I do. Um, but yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I um, I make YouTube videos, so I actually do YouTube full-time now. I identify also as a writer. I do a lot of writing for my films and um, have always done a lot of writing just as a way of processing my own experiences and sharing those. Um, I do travel filmmaking. So, uh, I don't, whenever someone asks me what I do, I'm like, well, it's not really a real job yet. It's just becoming a real job. But, uh, both my husband and I are travel filmmakers. We travel around the world by ourselves together and with our kids and document stories about the places we go to, to share with the internet. And that's kind of what I, the bulk of what I do, but I also talk a lot about uh, disability and mental health and try to be an advocate for all voices, especially underrepresented voices. So it's a big mishmash of stuff. Uh, I try to focus mostly on being someone who tells stories about the beautiful and the hard and everything in between. Yes. Oh. 
guys, you're going to love is so much. Okay. So I'm just going to go totally off script for a second and just have a conversation and talk to you about how I found you and why I connected with you. Because honestly, there aren't that many people to be, I'm, I find that, I don't know, it's, it's strange. I find that I have this, my husband says not to say this out loud because it freaks people out. Um, but I don't care. I say it anyway. I have this like really gut intuition about people. And I'm able to kind of, I guess for me, just see like who is really being real and authentic and who is, who is, this sounds bad, but kind of uh, worth your time. You know yeah. what I mean? Worth yeah. investing your precious time in. And uh, I'm obsessed with traveling. It is, uh, I mean, who isn't? Right? Yeah, right. I mean, who isn't obsessed with traveling? But I, it is why I, you know, I went into work for myself because I wanted to be uh, in control of my own time. I didn't want anyone else telling me, you know, like where I needed to be and what time. And so, listen, I had a lot of failures. And then finally, when it kind <laughs> of got all off do. the ground, don't we? Don't we all? But we, I, we were going to Canada and this was in the summer of 2018. And I just Googled 36 hours in Quebec City. And up comes this video. And I click on it. And I mean, anything that I had been really researching before was just like blog articles. Right. It was a video that came up. And to be honest, and I don't know if this ages me or if this, I don't know, but I you were kind of my first look into YouTube as a like, oh, people do this as a living. Oh, yeah, okay. I was my first look into it too. Were you? <laughs> yeah, yeah I had really- no understanding of this world at all. So I relate to that a lot. I, I really just thought YouTube was where you went to find like old, you know, Oprah interviews <laughs> or, or, you know, like a, an Olympics uh, thing from 1986 or whatever, you know, like I didn't really realize that there was a bunch of new content on YouTube and uh, uh, there's a lot. Anyway, so, there's so much. I, I watched this video and I immediately um, respond to it because the very beginning of it, you're like, here I am by myself on the streets of Quebec. And then your husband's in the background. He's like, no, there's actually people all around you. You're like, no, there aren't. There, Look, at, look, you can come out at night and be all by. And that is 100% something I would do. I am all about awkward humor right, yes. and also dark humor. And I don't know if you find this, but I find 99% of the time when I say things, no one gets it. Like I'm hysterically <laughs> laughing at myself inside. Um, and I have one friend who gets it. Like one friend who when I'm around, she laughs every time and everyone else is looking at me like I'm crazy. So I immediately related to you in that sense. <laughs> and then it starts, the like the actual travel video starts and it is the most beautiful. I just immediately had this appreciation because listen, I come from a wedding background and so do you a little bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But people used to walk into these weddings that I did and they'd be like, oh my gosh, like what, what how much fun this must be, you know? And I'm like, you understand that like, I don't have, have like fairy dust that I came in and sprinkled and it looks like this, like this was, you know, a year's worth of work and, and, you know, two weeks of like hardcore, you know, right. like bleaching buckets and on, on your hands and knees to like get things to look like this. And, um, and so I was immediately able to appreciate, wow, 
these videos, look at them, like the work that must have gone into these. So that's how I found you. And then I have never subscribed to anything before ever, as far as YouTube goes. I subscribe, so I watch them all. And, but that it was almost to me like this beautiful, lesson even of uh, like, first of all, related to your vulnerability and your willingness to share and those awkward moments, but also just seeing you grow on YouTube was fascinating to me from a business perspective. Yeah. I mean, again, it was fascinating to me from a business (laughs) perspective. Um, I never, ever expected it to become what it was when I started. And it's funny that you bring up that video because I actually think I've Again, this is like sharing the the pluses and minuses, but I, I actually look back on that video in particular often, not actually watching it, um, but just the memories of making it fondly. It's one that Johnny and I both reference because I think I've lost a little bit of what made that video Mm. so special. I was coming in with such little understanding of what was about to happen Mm -hmm. um, in terms of audience growth and uh, diversifying a business and setting up a newsletter and all of the things that you, that I was able to do with this opportunity. And they're all wonderful things. I'm sure you get this, right? But there's nothing quite like that creative buzz at the beginning when Mm -hmm. you don't entirely rely on it and you don't have this um, standard that you're constantly trying to uh, surpass, you know? So right right then, I I didn't understand much about YouTube. I think, gosh, if that was 2018, I would have only been making videos for maybe a couple months. on YouTube. I had been filmmaking for years. As you mentioned, I was doing wedding films and I didn't, I had never watched YouTube. The only YouTube I had watched was, uh, Vlog Brothers, which is John and Hank Green, um, where they just like do these kind of journal entry videos to each other as brothers. But that was my only exposure. I had never used it as like a search engine. My husband was on there as a journalist. So I guess I also watched his videos. But but even then he would watch it at night and I was like, what are you doing? Like what right. could be on there? And I was on Hulu. I'm on Netflix. I'm on Instagram. I was like... I just didn't understand. I thought he was just wasting a bunch of time. And uh, so I kind of, on that trip in particular and around that time, I just had this innocence, this naivety that was so fun. I didn't think about if people were going to think the jokes were funny or if they would think I was, you know, being too hard on my husband or all the comments I get now, right? All the input. I had none of that. And it was so fun. And then, yeah, I was able to take this unique background of wedding filmmaking and throw it into these travel films. And like you said, it's an enormous amount of work to make travel look both fun and beautiful. Um, But I was able, I think, because of my experience with filmmaking to make it look semi-effortless. And there was so much adrenaline then that it was semi-effortless. I was so, you know, amped on this idea. I was making two videos a week, which like blows my mind right now because I can hard, like now it's like two a month, you know? Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a wild and special time and just the strangest journey I've ever been on. 
Let's, so let's just talk. I want to talk for just a second about how you got on there because I, so I start watching your videos and I would hear you say, by the way, I don't think you're too hard on your husband. Johnny. <laughs> I think you are just the right. I mean, you've I got agree. People don't understand when you are best friends with your soulmate, like your partner, yeah. it is, there's going to be some banter and it's healthy. Exactly. And, fun. and a lot of times that's the way we flirt is by, you know, 100%. And, and you, you brought up that friend that laughs at every joke. Like that is my husband for me. Like he's the best audience to have around. Um, and he was such a a great sport and he was kind of a big deal on the internet then um, being – he's a journalist for Vox or he was. And he uh, was producing this big series and people took him so seriously. And I just had such a fun time trolling him and kind of knocking him down. And his audience obviously was like so caught off guard by that and loved that too. So it was a fun dynamic for sure. You would say, I would watch videos and you would go, this isn't Borders. This isn't <laughs> Borders, which Borders is. So then I was like, what's Borders? I mean, this is my first time having a YouTube like rabbit hole. So I'm like, what's Borders? So then I look up Borders. Then my then I've got my husband involved. So now Brian <laughs> and I are watching Borders together. And then we'll go and we'll watch your, your YouTube channel. And um, so, I mean, we, you know, I think it's just so lovely. I think that the world is really craving connection mm-hmm. and real stories and when you can do that in a in a real way and you can show both sides like listen we can be so fun and eat at fun restaurants and mm-hmm. have these great times with our kids but then I'm going to also show you a video about uh mental illness and and antidepressants and my you know my son struggling with things I mean I Listen, I'm someone who like, if you're not bearing your soul, what's the point? You know what I mean? I have no interest in just seeing one side of the coin. So I really found that humanity really lovely. But so how do you go from, because I guess if Johnny already has his show, is he so fully produced on YouTube or is it anywhere else or at the time? Borders? At the time, his show was fully pr- produced on uh, YouTube on Vox's channel and still is fully on YouTube, though later in his career at Vox, he produced also a Netflix episode for Vox's Explained series. So he, he's done both, but most of what we do is on YouTube. So you knew that and you decide to do something new and scary every year for your birthday, right? Mm -hmm. So you decide you're going to do a YouTube channel. Yeah. I can't believe I decided to do that. I, yeah, I had been challenging myself to do kind of these, and I still do something scary each year. What did you do this last year? This, what did I do this last year? I think it was boxing, which was like a big step out of my comfort zone to do something so physical. Uh, And Yeah. So at that point, I decided to start a YouTube channel and I'd been making videos. I'd been making these like 60 second edits, which I had no idea how YouTube worked. So I'd like throw them up on YouTube and be like, why is no one watching? Like, isn't this how it works? And it's not. It's a whole, I mean, complicated algorithm. And, um, you know, now I know way too much about how it works and I still don't know enough. But did you go into it, though, with the intention of let me see if I can make this a business or did you go into it with I'm going to make these videos and they're just for us. And if other people want to watch them, great. No. (laughs) I I love the honesty. Yeah, I was making travel videos 
for our family just for us for years leading up to this. Mm. Little videos, videos about Johnny and my anniversaries, videos about um, our son's diagnosis with autism. So I was making a lot of videos that were personal and just for us to have. But at the point that I started in January of 2018, I really, I mean, I said out loud, I'm going to go for it. And if by December 31st, if by the end of the year, I don't hit 10,000 followers or subscribers, I'll move on and I will try something else. But I really wanted to see if I could make it into a flourishing business, if I could facilitate travel as a family and cover the cost of that. It was a big leap for me into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so before that, you were doing wedding videography, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what about that? First of all, can we go back just a little bit before that? Like, yeah. what was your in, what got you interested in just? Uh, do I call it videography? Yeah, Documentary? Yeah. I'm like, what do we call it? Yeah, at the time, yeah, videography. I think was what I was doing then, kind of documenting and then editing, and then I would say it kind of morphed. This is like. T- wait, I mean, it does, the semantics don't matter, but I think it morphed into filmmaking where you're really doing like the storyboarding, the writing, Mm -hmm. the scripting, the on-camera and all of those big parts that make, you know, a film. Were you into this kind of stuff as a kid? A little bit. I did these videos with my friends. My, when I was a preteen, my parents kind of gave us a camera, but not to the extent I say a little bit because Johnny was really into it. Like He was trying to make movies by the time he was 16. I was kind of messing around with editing here and there. We made a few like music videos in college that I hope never see the light of day. (laughs) Um, But I think that the reason that we ended up getting into it, and it's not the most romantic story, was really out of like broke college student necessity. We we both were uh, raised Mormon. We all got married young. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. We got married so young. It's really crazy to think about now. You know, I'm 30 now, so that was 10 years ago. And I got married the week after my 20th birthday. So I was just a baby. And we still love each other. We're still doing the hard work of choosing each other um, every day. But yeah, and, and we both grew up Mormon, which kind of explains a little bit of the getting married young. And we're no longer practicing, but uh, at the time we were attending a Mormon college called BYU, and it's like marriage central there, right? right. Like, there's right. like, you know, hundreds of weddings every single weekend, and so out of that broke college student, you know, necessity, we thought, well, let's just purchase a camera that we don't have the money for. We'll put it on a credit card and we'll launch a business. And we kind of had that, like, actually, it reminded me of you. I've always really, really believed in investing in yourself, investing in your business and taking big leaps that put the pressure on, obviously, as responsibly as you can. But it reminds me of your story with your business loan and yes. how that moment really shifted things around. And it it does. It changes things. Even when, when you just put a little bit on the line, it mm-hmm. changes how you interact with your business, with your, with your dream, um, and with facilitating that growth. So we just decided to kind of fake it till we made it. So we were making these engagement videos of our friends' weddings of, you know, wedding films of our sister's weddings. And then we move out to the East Coast and we had this big portfolio that we'd 
basically concocted, you know, out of our circle. But I think we had something going for us in that. And you'll probably understand this being in the wedding industry. We had a little bit of the West Coast aesthetic that we brought here to DC that wasn't here yet. So in DC, it was very like ballroom, traditional, right? Um, not ethereal. It didn't have like the lens flare, the light, the even the music choices were different. We didn't realize that, you know, because we had grown up on the West Clo- Coast, our creative influences were obviously impacting what we were producing. So we come out what, here. What, what brought you to D- DC? Oh, man. <laughs> um, my husband studied international relations and he got a verbal offer, job offer at the, it's called the National Defense University. And um, we thought a verbal offer was a real job offer because oh we're young God. and babies. And I'm uh-huh. literally, oh, no, I'm not even expecting it this way. I've just had our first kid um, because I had our first kid, Henry, and then walked for graduation two weeks later. How and old then, were you when you had Henry? Oh, I was uh, 23, okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would have just turned 23. So just so little. And uh, right after that, after graduating, we then moved out here on a verbal offer that fell through (laughs) because to anybody who's young and listening, verbal offers are not offers. So get it in written. And so we moved out here. Luckily, my parents were living out here. So we were able to crash with them. And Johnny actually worked as a sous chef for like a couple months, just trying to find a job that would, you know, cover our life and get us some health insurance, you know, all the the essentials. And he kind of hopped around to a few jobs that he wasn't too enthused about, but that built some skills that eventually led him to Vox. So it was on a hunch that we moved out here and we really needed money, you know, and we really needed uh, to get this business to thrive. So we invested, we invested in Google ads, which I don't know the history of Google ads, but we must have hit it right. Because that year we booked 30 weddings. Oh, wow. And I really think part of that was that West Coast aesthetic that helped us stick out. And then, I mean, that was like, well, we better get really good, really fast, you know, and, and that was the best training I could have asked for as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good. So what was it about the wedding world experience that taught you, I'm trying to say this as kindly as possible, but, um, that taught you, okay, this is what I want to continue doing, but then this is also what I don't want to continue doing. You know what I mean? That allowed you to go, I'm going to take what I've learned here, but I'm going to pivot into something different. Yeah. There, I, I can tell you have experience in the wedding world. <laughs> it that way. Yeah. Oh man. You know, there could not have been a better way to learn filmmaking. Um, I always say, like, if you want to learn photography or filmmaking, and I'm sure you'd agree with event planning and design, uh, there's nothing that's going to keep you more on your toes than creating or capturing the most important day of someone's life and interacting with all different types of people on the most stressful day of their life. So you get to see some real 
quirks here and yeah. there. And um, and then when you it comes to personality shine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It goes one way or the other on that day. And, and then in capturing it, you will never in commercial videography or photography, in um, brand work like I do now, YouTube, television, never will you encounter the literal, this will only happen one time, <laughs> you know, uh, like s- scope or, you know, I don't risk <laughs> of that day of, of capturing a wedding. So, you know, I always use like the, the cutting of the cake. Um, but if you miss that, and I'll be honest, there were some times where we came close yeah, yeah, to missing yeah. that, like it, you can't recreate it. You can't like, it's not like what I do where I can be like, okay, take that again. Like let's, I can do five takes, you know, when I'm traveling and making a film. No, you cannot ask the bride and groom to cut the cake again. Like that's just not real life. It's not going to happen. So it was the best for that. It made us get so quick on our toes with everything from audio to focus to, um, you know, exposure, um, even like being really quick on our feet and like very steady and holding the camera, like all of those things had to be perfect. There was no room for error. Um, because again, you can't do a second take. What made me want to move on was it, you can only tell the same story so many different ways, so many different times. And again, this stretched me sitting there in, in the editor and Early on, Johnny did most of the editing, and then I started to take it on as his work at Vox picked up. And I'm glad I did. Um, and I'm glad I was forced to, because I think I had a lot of fear there of failure um, or not being able to, you know, do it all. Um, and it pushed me to take the same story, kind of the same framework, and have it feel different and really represent the experience that that couple was having that day. I'm grateful for that. It definitely has impacted the impacted the way I think about filmmaking, but I am also so grateful to not be doing it anymore because it became and this is this is to every wedding professional everywhere. Like this is where you got to walk away. Like the moment that it becomes and I'm not going to say it in the nicest way because I can't. That's okay. We're all about you in this here. But yeah. the moment where it becomes soulless for you, yes. you got to walk away because no couple deserves that. Like right. they deserve someone to show up and be excited for it. And it started to become really empty for me creatively. Um, I had kind of outgrown what I could learn from it. And that's not to say like there are some wedding filmmaking companies out there, wedding videography companies that are like truly fine art. And that takes one, attracting a certain clientele, the branding that you're putting out, like it takes an enormous amount of effort. And I'm sure you know this to get the types of weddings that help you showcase the types of weddings to keep getting those types of weddings. And I wasn't really willing to go down that direction. So there is, there was room to grow, but I just wasn't, I didn't look at that mountain and be like, that's the one I want to climb, you know? Right. Did you make a decision like, okay, I know that this one is my last wedding because for me, I was the same way to be real honest. I thought, you know, 
there's only, I mean, even though every wedding is different in the sense that like it's a different color palette or there's going to be different florals or it's going to be at a different venue. At the end of the day, it's the same formula. You know what I mean? You're doing, the work you're doing is the yeah. same. It happens to be a different color or, or a different place or a different floral stem or whatever. And, um, you know, for you, it's like, okay, we got the shot of them, you know, saying there I do. Now we got this shot. We have it. And it's like, once you've kind of in a way mastered that, however that is mm-hmm. for you, um, it's like, what else is there to do? What else right. is there? What else is there to not even to prove, but to do really? I mean, you've shown yourself that uh, you, you can do that. And so for me, I knew, um, I remember it was a, it was July of 2017 and I went, okay, June 18th is my last wedding. I had just booked wow. a wedding for June 18th. I went, that's my last one. I'm not taking on any other clients. That's my last one. And then that wedding got featured in Martha Stewart Weddings, which, you know, oh, is like the yeah. pinnacle. It's like the yeah. Oscars of the wedding. <laughs> you're like, okay, industry. I'll do it. And I was more. like, okay, we're done. Like, oh, you done. Were done. Like, oh, good. <laughs> there's nothing else to, to do after that. Um, and some people go, why would you leave, you know, when you're out, when you're on top? And I'm like, that's the best way to leave and, and everything. And I just was so ready. I had to listen to my gut and I just was so ready to do something different. Um, and my soul wasn't in it anymore, like you said. And I knew that people deserved someone who was really excited about, you know, their color choices. And right. I was no longer excited yeah. about any color choices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that for me, it was more of a um, – we started doing some travel weddings. And so it was like slow filters that we placed on what – weddings we would take, right? So um, it started, we started to become, as our rates, we were able to increase our rates, we were able to become more particular about kind of the aesthetic. Again, like I talked about creating that portfolio um, and working with weddings that inspire you creatively and working with designers and event planners that inspire you creatively, right? So I think that was the first filter. And then the second one was like, oh, it would be great to only take on, and again, we were already knowing we were going to start stepping away and that we wanted to be focusing on other things and that we weren't having enough time at home with the kids. So when I say filter, it really was like, oh, we have to limit what we're doing here. So how are we going to do that? You know? And then the the second one was, okay, well, why don't we just do weddings that allow us to travel? We'll, we'll only say yes to those. And then we did cried a bit of that. And that was great. And then it was like, right. I think once that was when our travel as a family started picking up and I just started, that was when it really like, if a travel wedding isn't doing it for you in a new place with a new, (laughs) new everything, that's when I started to realize like, oh, I think my heart's really not in this. And that's, that's a scary thing to walk away from. Like you said, like walking away when you are good. Yeah. When you're doing good and people are receiving it well and the income's good. Like, um, that was, yeah, a big risk. I look back at it now. It was kind of a crazy thing to do, but it definitely was the right decision for us. Sleeping with a Stranger is officially available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. 
Since the book's launch, I've been amazed by how it's been received. From being named a bestseller by USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, to incredibly personal and touching reviews from my amazing readers, it's been such a wild journey. Here's one of my favorite reviews. I love the honesty of this book. It is real and raw and doesn't hold back, and that is why it is so mesmerizing. I could relate on so many levels, and I know it must have been so hard to write about many of these very personal and taboo topics. I couldn't put the book down. It was such an easy and enlightening read. I highly recommend this to anyone who is soul-searching or just looking for some perspective. Truth is better than fiction. I can't wait to share this story with you. To get your copy, go to jessicazimmerman.com today or wherever books are sold. And to make sure you get all my upcoming book tour updates, join the newsletter list now. Did you have any kind of like imposter syndrome, you know, when you then went into the YouTube world? Because did you go from weddings to YouTube? I went from weddings briefly to doing like brand films. So I would like tell the story of how like handmade leather items were made or. Was there there a a point where you're like, okay, I'm tired of telling other people's stories. I need to tell my own because I'm tired of working with other people and having to do it the way they want it. 100%. And also, you know, when you have little ones. And for me, it was like, I wanted to tell their stories and I, I didn't imagine I could get paid to do it, but I felt like I was spending so much time filming these other people's lives and none filming ours and capturing ours and even being present, fully present in ours. And, um, so I guess I went from weddings and then, um, a bit of free falling. Yeah. And, and actually within there was right when my son was diagnosed. So mm. I'm like, I've got a little bit of revisionist history here where it goes straight from one to the other. But my son was diagnosed with autism. He had what was what is now known as regressive autism. So he lost a bunch of skills, um, speech, uh, the ability to make eye contact, motor skills, um, both fine and gross. And so that required all of me, you know, everything Mm -hmm. I had to give. So I gave myself over to that for about two years. I was his full-time caregiver. I was his secretary. I was his therapist. I was like everything that he needed and what that requires, especially that time where we were trying to figure out what was happening and why he was regressing. It, I mean, it, it, there was nothing left of me at the end of the day. Right. And yeah. And it just, it was the most significant challenge I've faced in my life and that's saying something. So, um, I kind of took, or I didn't kind of, I fully put myself into that. And then when we started to really get him on his feet and into some structure and services that really worked for him and for our family, that's when I started kind of looking around and being like, Oh, do I want to start telling stories again? And very briefly was telling them about brands and then got so bored so fast. I was like, and it's exactly what you said. I just wanted to tell my story. I just wanted to tell our story. I just wanted to capture something that, you know, you're always doing a bit of translating when you're capturing someone else's experience. Like you're never going to get it exactly right. And um, even though you can do an excellent job in the editor and give it your all, there's nothing that 
compares to telling your own story and knowing exactly how to write it, exactly how to film it, exactly how to word it. Um, that was just a new experience for me. And it was one that just like, you know, we talked about that adrenaline rush of the two videos a week. Like that's what that was. I just couldn't believe I could make whatever I wanted whenever I wanted to. And I just went wild. I I was just so excited about it. What is, because I honestly have no idea is I have no clue. So when you're like, okay, I'm going to make a YouTube channel and hopefully this will supplement my income. Mm -hmm. Um, is this like, does it work? Do you have to have a certain, like you said, you wanted to get 10,000 in six months. Is that right? 10,000 was my goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like when you get 10,000 subscribers, do you start making money? Do you, what is the, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. How does it work? Well, first of all, I want to be, cause I was again, like I said, internet stalking you and reading a bunch of your stuff. And I just loved the really real, honest, like portrayal of your experience and what led you to where you are now. And I love that you said something like um, you referred to what you had been doing before as a side hustle. And then you put in parentheses, like, let's be honest. So um, when you say replace my income at the time, I had just spent two years being fully dedicated to Henry. So we were ways away from me contributing financially to our family. And then when I started doing the brand films. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm interrupting because I'm so, I like to know everything. <laughs> no, this good. is so rude. So I was going to ask what that conversation was like when your son was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm, listen, I'm never going to be able to relate to, um, to, to that particular, um, scenario or, or, you know, what happened to you now, to give just a little bit of like what I can understand is having to basically uh, forget who you are for someone else because my husband was really ill and in and out of the hospital. I had just had, my daughter was not even two and then I had had twin boys. So, and then he goes into the hospital. And so it was like a couple of years for me of just making sure everyone survives. You know what I mean? Like uh, trying to find out how we can heal him. No one knows, we can't diagnose it. No one knows what it is, you know, trying to keep my, the other members of my family alive and, and this stuff. So I, I feel like I can relate only in the sense of, I kind of don't know who I am anymore because I am spending all my hours on someone else. And so what that does to you and what's that conversation like with Johnny to say, I'm going to step away and you're going to have to handle all that financially because I'm going to do this, you know, and how it, the difference in all of that, like it's, it makes an impact, you know, on you mentally and emotionally and on your marriage. And like, so what did that look like? Um, well, first of all, in the same, you know, I appreciate the way that you can talk about this shows that you've experienced enormous grief, you know, and I'm so sorry that you've experienced that, but there is a special connection that two people can have who have felt the loss and confusion, Mm -hmm. um, that happens when the person that you love is sick or disappearing or, Mm -hmm. you know, changing. Unrecognizable. Yeah. 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 Um, for me at the time, I think it was probably more of just like a, 
we were in absolute survival mode. It was happening so quickly with Henry and doctors were unwilling to listen to me. I know you had a similar um, experience where you guys could not figure out what was going on. And so I was so, I was already just completely consumed. And I think it was more like a threat of like, (laughs) you have to do this. I'm doing this, you know, (laughs) I'll see you in two years. Um, Henry's diagnosis, it's an interesting thing because I don't, I don't talk about it that much, but it is, it changed me more than anything else in my entire life. Mm, And yeah. And what you say about forgetting who you are and putting that on the table, because really that's what you do. You put that up and you just say like, I don't need this. I don't need Mm -hmm. any like self-obsession, any self-thought, any self-care, any me time. Like I, and it's not even conscious when you're in survival mode. It's just like, this is the person I love and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to help them um, in whatever way they need to be helped. And so, yeah, those two years, I mean, I had no form of self-expression. He was that. Um, The doctor's appointment, the therapy appointments, no social life, no. um, And I was grieving. I was just so intensely grieving. And I think oftentimes we like to think uh, that grief can only occur when you lose someone, when you physically right. lose someone. Mm-hmm. But what I was experiencing, and it took quite a few years of therapy to give myself this and to see it this way, was a loss. I feared so many things, and they're interesting to look back on now and, and honestly painful because we're in such a different place uh, with new concerns and and new things that arise when you have a child with special needs. But at that time, I remember just saying to my sister that I felt like I was like, I couldn't describe it. And I said, just imagine the worst, like losing the love of your life, like the worst breakup, you know, in the world. And I just said, I feel like that every day. I, the thing I feared most during those years was never knowing my son. I never knew. And there were days and days and days where I sent him off to school. And unlike the other kids who were coming home and saying, I ate this and I did this and I played with so-and-so, my son couldn't say anything. And there was all of the frustration in his system of that. You know, he was suffering so much with anxiety and the frustration of not being able to communicate and yeah, I mean, it consumed me. It was everything Mm -hmm. that I was. And so when we really started to like see that he was going to be okay, and at this point we had no idea if that meant he was going to be, you know, fluently communicating via verbally or if he was going to be using picture communication systems or what, but I knew like, okay, I can take a deep breath. Like we're, we've gotten through the worst of it, right? Knock on wood. Like I think I can kind of take my foot off the gas for a second and this car will drive itself, if that makes sense. That was a big moment for me. And honestly, the bigger conversation wasn't so much, Johnny, I need you to earn for us so I can do this. Uh, for two years, it was more the conversation after, especially having been raised in a conservative faith where there were pretty um, 
traditional roles, especially the roles that we grew up with, with our parents. Um, it was a more significant conversation after those two years where I turned to him and I said, I can't do it anymore. I'm losing myself. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to do. I have no time to even think about it, let alone take care of myself. Um, and this isn't how it feels for everyone, but it's how it felt for me. And I just said, I need help. I need help. And and that was, you know, to, and we were in a position where, not a position where it was easy to hire someone to help. It was definitely still going to be uh, probably beyond what we should have been putting out for that. Um, it was a risk, but I just said, like, just trust in me. Like, I think if I have some time to figure out what I want to do and what I want to be, like, it could be great. And he heard me and not that it was in his hands only, but I needed the person that I loved the most in the world to also believe in me to really be able to go and take this big risk of like putting myself, well, I didn't even know how many people I was putting myself out there to, but <laughs> even like, you know, 30 people felt really, really scary and big then. Sure. Yeah. Well, I I think what's so interesting about what you just said is a couple things. First of all, I think you're right. I think people view grief as, you know, like, oh, an actual physical death or something. And really grief is, it can, it's the loss of something. So it could be the loss of a life that you thought, you know, that you were going to have. I know for me, I was like, you know, you never envisioned having to, uh, having a son who would uh, regress. Yeah. That was never part of your no. dream or your plan. And for me, I, I, you know, you say those vows and sickness and in health for better or for worse. And I, I knew like one day, maybe I might have to like take care of him, but I thought that would be when we're 80 years old, not 30. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, no one, no one thinks they're going to have to buy their husband diapers, you know, at, at 31, 33 years old, you know, like that's crazy. And, um, for me, it was like, not only the death of a life that I thought, but a death of, because Brian became so unrecognizable to me. Um, it was like every day I mourned his death, but he was still there. Yes. His body was still there. And it was this constant And you feel guilty too, because they're still there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we don't understand about why these things hit us so hard, especially when it comes to, you know, health uh, crises, which is, you know, is we don't even understand the degree to which we harbor unconscious expectations of how our life is going to go. Like when you said those vows, you know, when I got pregnant with my first kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to call what I had just a blissful ignorance. And it's what I see in other parents who are expecting their first. And honestly, I envy it. That is a wonderful place to exist, to think that everything is going to work out. And of course, my kid's going to go to college. And of course, like in sickness and in health means, you know, yeah, like 60 years from now. And of course, like all of these things, you don't even realize um, one of the big, and I don't know, like I can't speak for what Henry's future will be. That's one of the really tricky parts, honestly, of being a special needs parent is Henry could live with me till he's forever, you know, or he could 
go to college, live independently, have a family. I don't know. I do just think it will be more towards him being uh, a day-to-day presence in our lives and needing that support. But one of the biggest things I didn't even realize, the expectations I didn't realize I harbored, that I'm telling you, I felt like the strangest full body grief. And, you know, you only know it if you've experienced like that was the moment that I just put together the dots that I, and again, I feel selfish even saying this, but this is just what all of this comes with, but that I realized I would never have grandkids like mm-hmm. with yeah. from him. Yes, of a life you thought you would have. Yes. And it was this yeah. seemingly little thing, but it's enormous. That's a part of a way that we know each other and experience each other and go through life with each other. Yeah. I just, I think that it is one, I think it's really underestimated the amount or what, I don't know, the way grief presents itself. Um, in so many different forms. And I think also we don't give ourselves enough latitude and grace to feel that uh, to the mm-hmm. degree that we need to, to heal, you know, and Absolutely. to feel whole. Yeah. you got to have some time to kind of work through that and realize that, yeah, there is, a, it's, a, it's the death of a dream and everything. So how is Henry today? He's good. He's so good. I mean, it's an interesting thing with Henry because, I mean, he talks nonstop from the moment that he wakes up to an hour after he is supposed to be asleep. Um, And it's all his kind of own quirky speech, but he's very communicative. He can tell me the things that he likes and doesn't like, like and his favorite colors. I remember just really wishing I could know his favorite color, you know. Um, He, you know, it's with his growing comes, and this is parenting in general, but it's uniquely, you know, there's additional layers when you have a special needs kid of complications. And so for him, as he grows, it's beautiful and wonderful to see so many of the ways that he's just blossoming, but it also presents these unique difficulties where he's starting to notice that kids run away from him on the playground or that maybe his brain doesn't work in the, you know, he said to me, he came home one day and he said, my brain doesn't work so good like the other kids. Mm. And his brain works phenomenally well, just in very unique ways. Like you ask that kid about the different cloud formations and he'll right. tell you all of them and like which one means a storm's about to happen. And I'm like, right. I can't even correct him because I don't even know. I'm like, maybe that's likely very true. Like his ability to memorize and to be curious and to ha- hold these conversations that are just like truly like this insatiable desire to know and understand how the world works. It's the most beautiful thing. But in a society that rewards a certain type of being, um, there's so many messages communicated to him that he is not enough, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we, as we see so much progress, we also encounter a lot of, you know, sad, sad moments and days. And I try to always ask myself, like, is this sadness selfish? Like, is it more about me and what I want for him and the way that I've been taught friendships should exist or we should need each other, right? Like sometimes I'll think like, 
he needs a best friend. And it's like, well, Henry doesn't want one right now. So if he doesn't want one, then my job as his mother, like I can grieve that separately in a therapy session. Yes, absolutely. But like my job as his mother present with him is to support him in that and love him through that and like help facilitate what he does want, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Here's what's interesting is I can tell that you have been through some shit in your life because um, you to be, um, you know, in your 30s and uh, and to be able to say that so clearly, like this is this is what I can do, and then this is what he needs. Mm-hmm. It, you have to have been through some stuff to 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 really be able to separate your feelings and your needs and your wants from from your child's. And I only say that. Uh, listen. Thank you for being so vulnerable about about all of that. I appreciate that. The it's interesting. So our uh, the, I hope that what I'm about to say doesn't sound insensitive and doesn't no, sound please. like I'm yeah, there's no, yeah. what I'm about to say to you. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to have a parenting um, uh, thing, but the so our our dog who we've had for 15 years since Brian and I got married. I mean, we got married and like three weeks later got this dog. Right and we're having to put her down in four days yeah, and sorry. it is, it is heartbreaking. And it, it's interesting because somebody said, well, oh my gosh, well, what do you, what do you tell the kids? And I said, I tell them the truth. You know, I tell them the truth and what I, where I'm going with this is I think, and I said, and they go, well, they'll be so sad. And I go, well, yeah, but sadness is a real emotion. And it's my job as their mom to teach them how to deal with sadness in a healthy way. And I think that why Henry is really, really lucky to have you as a mom is that you're not going to sugarcoat this stuff for him. And you're going to be honest with him Mm -hmm. and tell him the truth because that's what children deserve. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, what, what a lucky kid he is to have you. Thank you. And I mean, I think that you bring up something really important, especially with what we're looking at right now and like the discussions that we're having about everything in terms of acceptance, but particularly with race, I think that you bring up something that's really important and that can be applied to so much more, which is that one, our kids need to be prepared for real life experiences and and at their level, of course, but I think we underestimate what at their level means. Our kids are already noticing and taking in so much, you know, it's not like your kids wouldn't experience that loss. You know, right. but they would just experience that loss a little bit more confused. And that's confused not doing not anyone. Yeah. yeah. And and with no open channel, what you did by talking to them is you opened a channel and you said, I'm here. And like, we talk about hard things. And if you have some hard things in your mind or in your body or, in, you know, as you're processing this or anything else, mm-hmm. like the channel is here. We've practiced it. We've done it like this. We've walked this bridge together. You know what I mean? And like, I think for my kids, there's been this really, like, it's been so important to me to really lay down those walkways together and say, like, this is something that we can talk about. And I want them to feel comfortable acknowledging the world for all that it is. You know, I, I, I think, for instance, you know, when we're talking about uh, like our founding fathers, you know, or Henry's extremely hilarious when he talks about um, 
the Europeans coming over. And I say hilarious because he like lacks zero filter. I mean, he just says it like it is and he'll say it at like a dinner party and it's like, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, you know, he's like, we came over and we, we took this land and we took this land from this person and this person and this. And I'm like, you're right. We did. And he can handle that. It doesn't overwhelm him. And it's better that he understands it as fact. It's the same thing with loss. It's the same thing with sadness. Like our kids need all of these things to be explained to them and presented to them so that they can kind of go out in the world and experience them safely and fully and I don't know, know how to react and interact. And I think we just chronically underestimate what we can talk about with them and what they can handle. And then we don't prepare them. We don't do the proactive teaching that's necessary for them to be the type of people that we want them to grow into. You know, I, I really believe in giving your kids the opportunity to show up, you know, and to, to rise to the occasion. And I've just been so amazed at the ways that my kids have this awareness of things that I didn't encounter until the last few years, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I just remember, you know, my sister died when I was three. And so she was my older sister, like Mm -hmm. the love of my life. And I- I'm so sorry. Thank you for saying that. I I just- so when anytime I hear parents say, you know, um, oh, well, that they're too young or won't they be sad? I'm like, no, listen, it, it, you can ha- like kids can handle it. They can handle it and they need to be told the truth. I mean, I, I didn't need to be told, you know, that my sister like angels came and just took her because it was her time because then I'm going to be like mad at the angels forever. Right. You and know it's I mean? managing like, your emotions more than it is like exactly. trying to help you through them. Exactly. So by telling me the truth, you know, that her head was hit on the uh, part of the car and it, you know, hurt her brain, you know, that I was able to understand that and I was able to to grasp that. Um, and even, you know, when all of this happened with, you know, with George Floyd, I mean, I sat down with my six-year-old daughter and four-year-old twin boys and my daughter saw the video, you know, like, you know, I mean, I think that kids can handle, um, they need to know the truth. And so anyway, yeah, I thank think you. It was, it was a post that I saw that said, um, if you think your kids can't handle, uh, talking about race. I was five the first time my father told me that people would hate me because of the color of my skin. And so if we think, you know, we're, you and I are both mothers to white children. Um, like if we think that black and brown children are being protected in the same way, we are 100% wrong. And when we don't prepare our kids to protect those children, to advocate for them, to recognize wrong and correct it, because they do need to be taught how to do that, we don't protect those children, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's something that I'm really hoping that this conversation starts to bring to a light. But I do think, you know, Harkening back to what you said, like it is easier to get there when you've lived through a lot of different things yes. and seen that, you know, the truth is always the best. The honest conversations are always the hardest, but also the quickest to grieve and, you know, heal and become the best version of you you can be. That all comes from just living through hardship, you know? Absolutely. hundred percent. And I think that 
you know, uh, again, I've always appreciated just your realness and your vulnerability. I really connect with it. And you have a video on your YouTube channel that it's titled Those Moments. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I don't know why I'm getting emotional. (laughs) It makes me emotional too. (laughs) It is like, you know, it's probably one of your shortest videos, but it is so beautiful. Like I'm very rarely... um, it's speechless, but it's just, you can, I can just see and feel like your heart and soul in that. And now knowing even more of your story, you know, and just the time that you had to take off with, with Henry and stuff, and then just making, you know, those moments even more precious. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm going to tell you my favorite part of that video <laughs> um, is at the very end, you say, um, and just be, and there's the drone footage of, you know, you're on the ground and it goes up. And, um, but my favorite part is after that you whisper and you go, okay. And I know that you probably maybe intentionally that that was a decision later to keep that okay part in, but, um, maybe it wasn't, but to me, it sounded like, and just be was the end of what you had planned to record. And then you, there was almost this feeling of like, okay, that's done. I got that. But I loved that you kept it in there. That's beautiful. I mean, I I love that. That was the sense of the whole thing. It was like, wow, it got really hard to get to this point to where I can now appreciate all those things and I can share about it. And to me, that was the best part of that, that film. Oh, I love that. I love that you even caught that. I honest, I have to be honest, like I don't remember the moment of choosing to have that in there, but what you interpreted from it, um, it was, it was a moment that was not meant to be a part of the script. And it was, you know, every film I've made even even the sillier ones, you know, has they've all been a form of self-discovery and kind of a way to reflect um, on anything, right? Like things as little as interior design to things as complicated as as Henry's diagnosis or my own, you know, I have spoken publicly on my channel as well about my own experience with sexual assault. And that film in particular was something that I wrote as I was processing what I now understand was PTSD. I think that, um, man, I think a lot more of us are experiencing PTSD than we realize, first of all. And I, I think that mine had been a, um, a coming together of a lot of different things that had happened, including my son's diagnosis, but definitely also my own experience with sexual assault and sexual violence. And I remember writing that and feeling like when I described those moments, the reason I called it those moments, the way that it's written was it's the moments that catch you by surprise, right? And I kind of go into this in the script, but it's like where you're like, uh, the first thing I talk about, I think I show is us at a viewpoint. And it's like when you summit a hike or um, someone shows you something incredibly beautiful, or I go through a bunch of little examples, like how pretty coffee is when it pours or bread making, like little things, right? That Or when you first pick up the FaceTime call, you know, from mm-hmm. someone you love, it's those tiny moments that take you out of what I 
for me was PTSD, but also take you out of the daily stressors and the insecurities and all of the difficult, difficult things, the grief, the trauma, the, just the reality of living, you know, just the stress of like, am I doing right by my kids? The mom guilt, the like, like all of it, it, they take you out of it for a split second, less than a second. And you just have this lightness of who you are without all of those things. And I think that the reason that I wrote that was I was ready to shed some of those and to do the hard work of working through some of those. And that moment at the end of that script, it felt like that. Like it felt like I had just like put something again, like put something on the table and said like, okay, I'm ready to share that with people. And I'm also ready to take another step in my own healing. And yeah. I, f- I just felt that to its core. I really did. It was, it's just so beautiful. And I mean, I'm not even talking about how freaking amazing, like all of the, we'll talk about that in a second, just all the footage. And the film. I mean, it's insane. But did you, did you win an award for that um, um, film? For my, for the film titled, um, oh gosh, what's it called? We Remember, which was about um, my sexual assault. I won an award for that film. The film that you're referencing, I did premiere at the same festival a year before. Um, Because it was pretty soon after that that I saw there was a video and there was like all of a sudden, this is when I really realized there's a YouTube world. (laughs) You were like, now I'm at this YouTube, I don't know what it was, a conference or Mm -hmm. a festival, I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was the film festival. And I was like, oh, what? what are all these people doing? Like there's more people, like there's channels of what is happening. And so like that wasn't that. So let's just talk. How quickly did you get to that 10,000 following? And then when did, then then you're at festival, like a conference, like how does that happen? Yeah. I got to the 10,000 Thanksgiving of that year and I was with my family And I think my dad actually, or maybe Johnny, my husband, told my dad, I don't know. But it was the two of them who were like monitoring it. (laughs) And we were on a hike. So I was trying to be present and not think about things like followings and, you know, things that can consume us. And my whole family like just started cheering and jumping up and down. And I think I was just really surprised, like just really shocked that this could happen and that this really could be a thing. And um, yeah, so it was about nine months. It all happened extreme. I mean, there are people who spend eight, nine, 10 years, like the people who were original creators on this platform, a lot of them have been, they're my age and they've been on there since they were like 12 you know, so you're talking about years and years, um, of creating for me, um, you know, I'm not massive now, but it was a quick growth. I now understand. I didn't understand that. Um, but now that I have context for how long these creators, you know, have been on the platform and have been making weekly videos, uh, it was a pretty big whirlwind for me. If you want to build a great business or live a good life, you've got to plan for it. Every year, I take a whole month to reevaluate the past 12 months and figure out what worked, what didn't, and how I can create a life I love for the following year. 
I teach you my exact planning process in my program, Know Your Numbers, Annual Planning for Your Best Year. If you want a free training to get some tips on planning your best year yet, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash KnowYourNumbers. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash KnowYourNumbers. So what is the ultimate, like, again, I'm looking at this strictly from a business perspective at this moment. Like I, I, I fully get having a, ch- listen, I have a YouTube channel. I think there's two videos <laughs> on it and I'm pretty sure they're just like boring webinars, but. Um, no, I uh, hear you. If, if, if this wasn't a viable business, I would not be doing it. So, right. Yeah. And, and we're going to get to something else exciting in a second, but the, um, do you, is the goal, because I even saw someone the other day, they were like, we finally hit a million. And they had like this freaking plaque or a trophy or something. And they, YouTube sent it to them. I'm like, what is happening? So do you just, is it, you have 167,000 subscribers. So do you get to a certain number and then ads happen and then you get paid for ads? Or do you get, like what Yeah. So it's financially it's, business <laughs> is the goal? Um. Okay, so... The goal is different for everyone. And I'm not even meaning to be vague. It's truly different for everyone because like many things, like if you take Instagram, for example. Okay, so what's the structure? Right. Okay, what's so the, the structure, structure is um, basically, okay, you get a very, very small amount for, you know, when you're watching YouTube and you have an ad and you have to watch it for six seconds before you can press skip ad. <laughs> Every YouTuber that has that on, that's, you know, you have to like hit like, I think a thousand subscribers and a certain number of watch time, like minutes. Um, You're then getting like a tiny portion of that ad revenue. So is it like on Spotify? Because I have a friend who's like recording artist and it's like pennies for every time. So it's like per thousand views, you're going to get anywhere from, I think, three dollars, US dollars, maybe like 30 if you're doing finance stuff or like real estate stuff, right? Like the more niche, if you're doing tech, I think that you're getting more per thousand views. So it's like nothing. Like I remember being so excited when mine hit like $27, you know, and it was over the course of a few months. So I actually didn't even apply to have that as a part of my revenue until a year in. Um, mostly because I was in a fortunate enough position that we really were like investing in it as a business and we had no expectation of it being income earning until after that first year. So all of that travel we were doing, like all of that, luckily I had the gear already from doing weddings, but like we were investing heavily, you know? It was a it was a risk. I like to call it like grad school tuition, like where it was like, okay, that's how I had to think about it because otherwise I would have just been like panicking. Like we shouldn't sure, be totally. putting this into this like pipe dream, you know? Yes. Um, after but you have to put out there what you want. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to do tra- if you want to get paid to do travel films, like exactly, exactly. Yeah, people okay. are always like, how did you how do you afford? And it's like, well, I just leveraged like, <laughs> yeah, we just. <laughs> Like did it and like believed that it could be a thing. After we swapped yeah. that card for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the next thing, um, the smallest would be like affiliate revenue. So Amazon links, uh, maybe you're recommending some music, like royalty free music thing, um, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and that's also pretty small, unless you're an excellent salesperson, which I am not. 
I would assume that you are an excellent salesperson. Having looked at your like amazing online presence and having created all these courses, it is like so, so impressive to me. And Thank it's you. such a skill set. Um, I do not have that. So that was never going <laughs> to be. This uh, is what's so funny is I tried to actually uh, reach out to you, uh, but I didn't know your email address at the time. And I was trying, I, I, I think I might've sent a message. I can't remember, <laughs> but I was like, you need to be making a course yeah. about this because you, you could be making so <laughs> And anyway, it turns out you do that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah. Okay. So thank you for the compliment. No, I know it's, it's such a skill. It, and that's why I said it's like to, to not be vague about creators and how they're making money, but it really depends on their business sense and where their skill set lies. So from there, from like affiliate links that people have in their descriptions, or maybe they're swiping up, it goes into sponsored videos. And this is where it gets into the territory where I'm not allowed to talk about how much because contracts make sure you can't, but I think I'm allowed to give a range. And What's a sponsored video like? Like it's when either. No, so that you? is different. So, okay. so sponsored videos are on your own channel, and in the U.S., it's mostly like an ad read. So, at the end of a video, you'll say this video is sponsored by blank. It's the same way you would do it on a podcast, and um, head to the link in my description. Da, 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 you know, and I was always very particular about who I wanted to work with. Um, and just to make sure like my consumption is not massive. Like I'm not, I don't, it's definitely trimmed down. So there weren't that many brands that I really interact with and love that I also want, who also happen to want to sponsor my channel. So I was selective on that account. But You're like me. Yeah. You're like me. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't request to do some, I basically have had one sponsor my entire podcast yeah. because I'm like everyone else who asks, I'm like, I don't use that olive oil. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, I will only sponsor things that I actually use. Cause then it's just not that who cares? No one, then, then you become untrustworthy. You do. And you saturate, you oversaturate your audience. Like there's actual strategy reason to not do it. Like you will just exhaust them and like, good luck. I'm, just waiting. Your I'm like, anytime yeah. anything that we're actually use, want to come, yeah. <laughs> once you come over, that'd be great. I know. Okay. That's like my favorite thing is to be like, sponsor me. Like when, when it's something I actually love, but, um, that's where you get into what can be a real like sustainable business. And again, there's people who do this just through Amazon affiliates. There's people who can do this just through AdSense because they have insane views. But for me, it was mostly um, the sponsorships and those, I guess, what what size would I have been when I got connected through word of mouth. So I was kind of lucky and to a management agency. and. So I would say it was probably like at 20,000 subscribers. I think that's probably early to start getting sponsorships. But because it was word of mouth, it happened a little bit earlier. And that started to allow me to do YouTube full-time easily um, by probably – I got what's called creator on the rise for YouTube – um, spring of, I think 2019. And in a month I grew by 30,000 subscribers. And it was like one of my most ridiculous videos that they put on the trending tab on there. Um, it was like, <laughs> I do these cooking videos and it was one where I was making chili and like 
I'm telling you, I could not look more ridiculous in the thumbnail. Like truly, it was like I've seen it. Such <laughs> a, like, I think there's like a hat. Yeah, it's like I was trolling myself because I was that this morning. I was like, I don't care. I can't figure out a thumbnail. I'm just gonna use this screen grab, like whatever. And that ended up on the trending tab. And so I got this awesome, you know, I'm so glad it was that video because the people who liked it were so my people, you know. They were like, This is weird. You're weird. Like, let's do it. We'll subscribe. So um that kind of put me into another kind of ring, if you will, or whatever sphere of earning capability. And and then is it to the point where someone goes, where someone like Eater sees your videos and goes, come work for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of a funny, like, happening. Part of that a little bit scary because you're like, wait oh, a minute, scary. I've been working for myself and I'm used to working. For, I don't want to go back to working with other people. So scary. Um, not to mention it was journalism, which I had no experience in. So, um, but you are journaling, you are, you are sharing about it because it's the yeah. way you want to hear about it. Yeah. I think you that I've learned the way other people have been doing it because yours is the interesting way. Yeah. I think I've learned to be more generous with like the skill set that I had built up at, at that time. But around the time that Eater reached out, they were actually reaching out to Johnny. They're owned by Vox Media. So within the company, not like Johnny as a YouTuber, he wasn't a YouTuber then. He was a Vox journalist. They were reaching out to him to make like a Borders Eater collab. You know, they were like, okay, both of these are verticals. Like it's kind of like, I think Vogue has like Condé Nast, like Teen Vogue, all of those different verticals. Like Vox Media has like Curbed, Eater, Vox.com and all these different verticals, right? So they were like, we can like join up together, make this really cool eater episode. And then something happened where I think both parties kind of dropped the ball (laughs) on making that happen. And I had happened to go with Johnny to Hong Kong where he was filming a season and I helped him film. And I made a like day of food in Hong Kong. I had never done food content. I'd always loved food. And I was like, I just need an easy video. I'm going to eat and see if people care to watch me eat new foods <laughs> and explore place. Yeah. And I was like, no way is anyone going to watch this, but like, I'm going to do it because this is what I love. So it's like, again, this video is like, in no way am I a composed on camera personality in that video. Like, I think that I like actually steal food from Johnny in the video. Like there's like interactions that are not at all <laughs> journalist interactions. And, real. Yeah, yeah. We can yeah. Yeah. So Johnny gets back and he's like, whoops, we, you know, they reach out. They're like, Hey, um, did you happen to make anything? And he's like, whoops, no, I didn't think that was happening. Um, he's like, but my wife did. And he just sent it to them, not telling me and the editor in chief at the time, um, is and she still is a woman, you know, and uh her name's Amanda and she said to him and this was via Slack but she said like later to me like forget you. <laughs> like who is this? And who I think this? that yeah. yeah, and at the time also the um gosh, I don't know these like industry titles, but these are just two badass women who were at the top of Eater's YouTube channel at the time. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted to empower a strong female travel personality, food personality. And so they reached out and like 
seriously, five days later, they trained down to meet with me. I didn't realize that it was like an interview. I was so naive to like industry, like how like media worked at the time, you know, like for me, <laughs> making YouTube videos and like wedding films, like I didn't, I hadn't been in a job interview in my entire life, you know? So like they come down, I start to catch up like 10 minutes into the conversation that they want me to pitch them. And of course they do. Like, why else would they come down? Right? Like it's hilarious now. But at the time I was like, we're just having lunch, getting to know each other. <laughs> like, you know, they, I, I, also had that imposter syndrome that you talked about where it's like, there's no way they'd really want to work with me. And so I start to like, it's like my brain starts to catch up and I'm like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be pitching you. So I start pitching them on just like general ideas I've had for travel content and food content. But, you know, I still lacked experience in like editorial and coming up with like good storylines and, and, I was like formulating like a series, right? Like a cohesive episodic series. And so they were interested in a few. I mentioned that we were going to Portugal in like, I think a month and a half. And they were like, that's it. Like, we're gonna have you make a episodic series about, you know, we'll, we'll create what it's going to be together, but it's going to be in Portugal. And so I had like next to no time to prepare. I had like three weeks of pre-production research, um, which when you're taking on an entirely new cuisine and language and culture is not enough. And we were taking on, I think, five cities. And uh, and then they were like, go for it. And honestly, I had never done something at that level. I was so in many ways out of my depth, but I look back and like the gift that they gave me, those you know, the eater team and I like, they will forever have a special place in my heart. Um, the gift they gave me of saying like, we think you can do it. We think that you have something special, be yourself, like show up as you are, be funny, be, you know, weird, like whatever you got to do, be, you know, yeah, be you. That was the greatest, greatest gift that a large company like that could have given me. And they really allowed me to grow in so many different skill sets. And I think it's really fantastic that you only had three weeks to prepare mm-hmm. because then you, you really weren't, you didn't have the time to, you know, overthink it and all that. You really were able to be, to be you. Exactly. And it was great. I mean, by the end of it, it, it was received well and all of us kind of came together. And I think we all came together with like, okay, hey, that was great let's make it better. You know, here's all the ways that we can make it better. And I learned also to really open myself up to that. Like having an editorial experience where someone's saying like, cut this, even though you're really attached to it, it's not serving the story. And I'd have to be like, no. And then be like, fine. And then realize they were right. Like it changed who I was as a storyteller. Um, and, and yeah. And then just to answer your question in terms of income, the way that that works is it's in, you're working as a contractor, a contractor, host, a producer, and that's an entirely separate fee for yeah. YouTube entirely. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, listen, I could talk to you for 14 hours. I'm going to, I'm going to make you exchange phone numbers with me at the end, um, but we won't, we won't put that out on the air, <laughs> but um, I have to tell you this uh, before we go. It's um, so I have always, I mean, always wanted to, I get asked all like, what would you do if you're not doing what you do now? I'm like, I would figure out a way to make travel my business. Like, um, 
every day, I'm not kidding you, every day <laughs> I am researching, you know, um, so, uh, okay, well, let's just say we're going to Oregon, um, best food in Oregon, best this yes. in Oregon. Best, you know, I'm just constantly in research mode of places. So I am watching your channel, this is two years ago, and I am like, oh my gosh, like, well, I just thought we were going to go to Canada, but now I think I'm going to go to Canada and like, uh, you know, make some film. <laughs> yeah. Because I also think, you know, I get asked sometimes like, well, why do you go to these places when your kids are young? They're never going to remember it. And I'm like, well, if you have a video that, that they can watch over and over again and they can relive it, then they, those memories are going to stick with them better, right? Yeah. So then I watch a video of yours called Travel Gear. And thousands of dollars later, um, and a bunch of Amazon boxes later, I have all the gear. And I've never, I've never videoed in my life. And now I think I'm going to do this. And so, but this is me. Like when I'm in, I'm all in. Right, right. So we go um, to Canada. We have all the, we do the, We. I mean, I can't tell you how many things we did wrong and like how many, and the most annoying thing to me is when you're, doing a drone and then people want to come talk to you oh, and you're like right. I'm trying to like work and and get a, a shot and I don't want to talk to you about my drone it I is know, a it painful so painful experience I wanted to hurt people when they kept <laughs> coming over the drone. I'm like, I've never seen one of these before it's not that interesting so then um I we then I get this idea. I go okay because one day I want to travel the entire U.S. and obviously go abroad and all that. But I've always had this dream of owning an airstream and seeing the entire U.S. And we have purchased the airstream, oh my gosh. and it will be here in eight weeks. And um, I have a house showing in forty minutes. Oh, Our house is for sale. My um, gosh! And, Congratulations. And, well, thank you, but. But if we go back a couple years ago, I was like, I'm going to figure this out so that one day we can do that. So I call um, the state of Arkansas travel tourism and I'm like, could we do on our, we could, we'll start a YouTube channel. And by the way, is this is all your fault. And I'm like, we're going to start a YouTube <laughs> channel and we're going to go to all these places in Arkansas because no one ever comes to Arkansas or thinks about it or whatever. And we've got all these lakes and hiking trails and we're going to do this video and we're going to do this series. And they are all for it and they're excited. And so I go into this like it is my job. And we ended up having a miserable time. We went no. to like four four cities and then Brian and I were like, we can't do this because we, I was wanting to film everything. There was no formula. There was no nothing. I just was always, always had the camera with me. And then I'm like, oh, we need, we went to this park. So we need drone footage of this park. Oh, we were on this boat. So we need drone footage of this boat, like, which is just, you know, what a pain it is to get that stuff out all the time. And so then I'm like, okay, if we ever travel, we're just going to have to travel. Like we can't do travel as like an income thing. That's just not going to work. So the pandemic happens. We learn that we actually can homeschool a six-year-old and two four-year-olds. And so we decide if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. So we buy the Airstream. Like I said, it'll be here in eight weeks. And last week I was like, I need to, I want to look up some of this stuff again. And I learned about Bright Trip. Mm-hmm which you did with Lonely Planet. Yeah. And there is a course. It's a, it's like a whole bunch of courses. And there's a course on how to document your trip. 
So yeah, got I was it. just about to recommend this to you because I was like, oh no, filming all the time is like a recipe for disaster. Oh my gosh. I watched it and I, I, I made, and I looked at Brian and I go, Brian, we could actually do this. Like we could actually, I said, even if we didn't do it for any income purposes, I said, just to do it for our own family, just so that our kids could just remember this year that we're going to go do this. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, you get four wide shots, eight detail, four human. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then you put your camera away and you're done. And anyway, it was just, it made so much sense. I was like, that just saved because, but I'm glad that we kind of did that whole Arkansas thing for a minute because it showed me what I absolutely don't want. And it showed Brian what he absolutely doesn't want. But then the best part of, of it, because I did actually edit a video that I think is pretty, pretty good. I only got about halfway through it, but um, because I was so specific in everything. So it's like, it's not that I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I, I want to have the finished product, but I don't want to do that work. And so just y'all's recommend, recommendations of like, okay, get your footage and then send it to this person yes. and they do it. And it's amazing. I'm like, yes, outsource. That's what we're going to do. And so how much time, I mean, it was a $25 program and I swear it saved me so much time and we're going to get great memories. We already have the gear, so there's no reason to not take the footage, you know? I mean, I love how all in you went. I think that there's this like common, I mean, what you did is the most common thing, like going, filming everything, stressing everyone out, stressing yourself out, ruining the trip. Like, uh, believe me, like been there, done that. Like it is, it is so common. And I get so many messages asking about like how to not do that and how do you still experience it? And, and that course dives into it, but it's because we had experienced that. And because we had to learn to be, you know, now I have truly like, you're going to get so much better at it. You're going to have this equation in your head where you're like, okay, I know I'm missing like two wide shots. Like, I, oh, I didn't kind of establish the scene. Like the more that you see the finished product too, like when you send that out to an editor, which is what I would recommend for someone like you who can do that, uh, has experience delegating and like does, you know, your time is precious. Like to me, once you get that back, you're going to learn more and more. Like I learned so much from the edited product where it's like, oh, I wish I would have gotten, you know, a drone shot of the city to go at the beginning, you know, like, well, I'm never going to make that mistake again. And and it also like the more you do it, the less precious it is or precious it is. Like you look at my films, some of them, you know, are incredible. They really are. I'll give myself that. Some of them, not so much. And it's fine. The point is to capture those moments and to have them for you and your kids to watch. And And I would just encourage you to put them up anyway. Like, that's such a fun experience. Like, people will start to watch them. Like, why not? Yeah. If you're going to have someone else edit them, like, just put them up and see how it goes. It's going to be good. I could talk <laughs> to you all day. I'm not kidding you. I loved this conversation. I have to ask you, this is the one question I ask everybody. I always find it fascinating. Um, if you had Oprah's money, so you had billions of dollars, and you had to spend it on something for yourself, something totally selfish, what would it be? Oh, Okay. Man, my answer would have probably been so different. I think I would have said like travel full time with no income attached to it. You know, it's funny that like for everyone who speaks to me, their goal is to like attach income to travel. Right. Um, But it would probably (laughs) just be able to travel without um, needing to make money with it. But 
now we actually did this crazy thing a year ago where we bought an 1800s church. Yeah, we bought a church and we really spruced it up and designed it and designed the landscaping and everything to be like a full kind of what I would call like a boutique Airbnb experience. And it's so cool. Does it have room for an Airstream? Could we come hang it out? Does. It does. It absolutely does. That'd be so fun. It's so <laughs> fun. And our kids are just like in heaven there. And so it was, and we launched it as an Airbnb with the intention that we would be able to use it. And then, you know, we would also be able to, and I, you have to understand that like, I get enjoyment out of entrepreneurship. Like I love that I'm like doing something new, learning so- about a p- part of the travel industry, creating an experience for us and others. Um, it is selfish. Like it's not, it's not it. a selfish thing. Yeah. And so I think what I would do if I had Oprah money and I had to spend it on myself is I, and this is what I hope to do. Like I really believe in putting out what you want into the world and not being afraid to say it. Um, even though it's so scary. Cause you're like, Oh, now everyone listening will know if I succeeded or failed, but who right, cares, you right. know? Um, but what I would do is I would invest in like 20 boutique, Airbnb experiences or vacation experiences, everything from like really like a old home in like Como to, you know, a like really kind of clean, uh, beautiful open air lake house. Like I would just go all out to create these like experiences that again, we get to have, but also are this incredible entrepreneurial experience. Mm-hmm. I just go wild. Yeah. Like designing them. I'd probably make films about it. Like make a series. It would be so fun. I love it. Oh, that sounds so good. I love that. Thank (laughs) you so much. This has been such a fun conversation. Thanks for just being honest and real and raw and all those good things. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was too fun to talk. So I love it. No doubt there will be more conversations. I hope so. I hope so. Zimmerman Podcast listeners, isn't is just incredible. This week, if you do nothing else, head to her YouTube and watch a video or two. I know she'll be just as inspirational to you all as she is to me. I know I'm going to keep using Iz's expertise as a resource as I travel in the Airstream with my family. And if you want to keep up to date on our life in the Airstream, make sure you subscribe to and review Zimmerman Podcast and follow along with the Jessica Zimmerman YouTube channel. I'll see you back here next week on Zimmerman Podcast.